Last week we looked at uh, Psalm 13, and uh, today I want us to look at Psalm 32. I want you to do the same thing you did last week. Get your Bible out, turn to Psalm 32. Dickie, get your Bible out, turn to Psalm 32, and hold it open. Keep it there. Because uh, it's 11 verses. It's a whole column in your Bible, and uh, just you need to stay with it for the whole time. So hang on. Let's look at Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said... I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is guilty pray to God while you may be found. While, while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach you. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. And surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Now that's a lot to hang on to. That's why I want you to keep your Bibles open. Pay attention to what's happening here. Now, last week we talked about uh, kind of a language of faith that was uh, about being honest to God about how you feel when God doesn't seem to be treating you very well. And I reminded you that we not only need not to be afraid to tell God anything in our own language, our own terms, the words we normally use. He can hear them gladly, whatever they are. When you get through talking, it's time to listen. Because listening helps us understand our motivation for crying out to God in the first place. What happens when God says, well, you need to rethink that a little bit. Maybe you're feeling so crummy because not for something that's come on you that's just arbitrary. The world has just fallen on your head. And it wasn't your fault. It just happened that way. But maybe something is wrong in your life. 
Maybe there's some obvious sin in your life, or maybe there's some not so obvious sin in your life, and that's creating some problems for you now. The question is, what kind of language do we use to talk to God when he says that to us? And that's where Psalm 32 comes in. When we discover there's some personal sin in our life that's causing us a lot of grief, causing grief in relationships with each other, grief in relationships with God, grief about the world in general because of something we've done to disobey what we know God wants for us in our life. Now we got to say, what else do we say to God next? Well, we usually call that confession, I know, and we find ourselves, I think, usually doing a couple other things first. Denial is real popular. Rationalization is the most popular. It's, in my opinion, the most popular. I haven't surveyed this crowd, so I don't know. And then confession is what the language ought to be when we deal with God, when we know there are sins or sin in our life that's fouling us up. Now, when we begin to deny God that there is sin in our life, we find ourselves in the same kind of trouble that the rich young ruler discovered. You remember? Rich young ruler, he was a hot shot, he was an entrepreneur in his community. He had plenty of money. And he was a good Jew. He went to a temple as he was supposed to. He did all the things he was supposed to do. But he'd heard about Jesus. And he knew there must be something to this. And he wanted to have eternal life that Jesus had been talking about. So he goes to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'd, I'd really like to know about this eternal life. You and I would say, I want to be saved. But he used eternal life. And Jesus said, well, what do they tell you at church? He said, well, I'm supposed to keep the commandments. And he said, well, I've done that all my life. Since I was a boy, I've been good. And Jesus said, do this other thing. And the rich young ruler said, "Mm, I can't do that. And he walked away. He denied that there was sin in his life. Well, he'd been following the rules. He he was a good person. Uh, He didn't hate his neighbor. He didn't throw rocks at the dog next door. He didn't steal. He was a good person. He was probably one of the best persons in the community. When Jesus told him there was problems in his life because he wasn't doing something else, uh-uh, he said, I'm not doing that. And he walks away because he denied there was sin in his life. Sometimes you and I have those kind of denials in our life. Rationalization is another way that we deal with God's conversation with us about something's wrong with us. Now, I think it's probably the most popular, maybe because it's most popular for me. But 
you know, I project that on everybody else. That's a possibility, too. But you just think about your own life, and you can decide about yourself. There'll be no survey at the end of the service. Most of you have probably heard some semblance of a letter that a young woman in college wrote to her parents. And this is what she said. Dear Mom and Dad, Please forgive me for not writing sooner, but all my paper was destroyed when my dormitory burned down. I am out of the hospital now, and the doctor said I should regain my sight very soon. The young man who rescued me from the fire offered to share his apartment with me until the dorm is rebuilt. He comes from a good family, so you won't be surprised when I tell you we're getting married next month. I know you have been anxious to be grandparents, so I want to also tell you that I'm pregnant. Your loving daughter. P.S. Please disregard the above practice letter from English Composition. There was no fire. I have not been in the hospital, and I am not pregnant. But I don't even, and I don't even have a steady boyfriend, but I did make a D in French, and I failed chemistry. So I wanted you to know and to understand how much worse it could have been. That's rationalization. I think we need to be careful with rationalization. God doesn't see individual sins any differently than he sees any one of them. All sin is abhorrent to God because it breaks our relationship with him and it often breaks our relationship with other people. And this brokenness is what God came to fix, what God came to bring together, this brokenness in humanity. And if we allow that to happen, we stay in trouble. But we do that, we stay in trouble because we rationalize the sin that we know is in our life. Lord, I know that's not really the best thing for me, and it might mess up a little bit, but it's really not too bad compared to, look what so-and-so is doing. Isn't it it nice to be able to point to so-and-so? They're much worse than me. So mine can't be so bad. Lord, I heard the preacher say he used rationalization. Surely he's a worse sinner than me. So why should I worry about what little I have to worry about? Because God sees all sin the same. And he doesn't like any of it. Now, the third avenue is confession. Martha was good at that. Now, I don't know whether Tim deserved that or not, but probably did, but that's a simple thing. Now, what if, what if that happened every day and there was no forgiveness? How would that affect a relationship? Well, I know how it affects relationships. I've seen it too many times. But when we confess, we acknowledge our sin, we lay it before God, and we allow God to deal with it, Him alone to deal with it. 
Do you know what the word confession actually means if you just have a literal translation of confession? It means to agree with God. That's what confession is. And when you confess, you're saying, God, you are right. This thing in my life, this event, this action, this attitude, this whatever is separating me from you and separating me from other people. And I lay it before you in confession. This language of faith, of confession, is just as important as the language of praise and last week, languages of complaint against God's activity in our life or in the world. So this confession is a good language for us to use. And Psalm 32 helps us discover some things about this kind of language. Now Psalm 32, you might already know, is a twin to Psalm 51. Now they're not identical twins. Not identical twins, but they are twins. They're twins because they're both David's confession when Nathan confronts him about the sin in his life. You remember it came a springtime. That's when everybody went to war back in the old days. They went to spring, not in the winter, not in the summer, but in the spring because they work in the fields the rest of the time. But in the spring, they went to war. David decided he'd stay home. And you remember he had too much time on his hands, and he saw Bathsheba, and he lusted after Bathsheba, and because he was a king, he could do pretty much what he wanted to do, so he took Bathsheba as his wife. Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, had already gone to war for King David and the nation Israel, like his duty was. And David had him killed in battle so he could more comfortably have his wife. Nathan comes before him and tells him about this, confronts him about this, and he confesses. And that's where this psalm and Psalm 51 come from. Words are different, but they're twin psalms nonetheless. Psalm 32 in particular, I think, has some things to tell us that we need to remember. These first two verses we have a picture, I think, some, some word pictures of what God does with our sin when we're willing to confess it before Him. The results are forgiveness, the results are covering, and the results are not counting it against us. Now, why would a poet, a psalmist, David or somebody for him who wrote this, why would they use three different words to say the same thing? Because each have a different shade of meaning. When we're talking about the word forgiven, the word here used really means to be lifted up or to carry away. There was a 14-year-old girl who went uh, with uh, a group of us to New York to do a mission trip. She's about this tall. And she had a duffel bag about this tall, slap full of clothes and stuff for the week. And she's a thin little old girl. She wasn't, she's a wispy thing. And she'd put that thing on, and you know how you get it up, and then you have to do like this to 
walk and carry it because it's so heavy. If she had stood up my soul, she'd have just fallen over. That's the word picture that they're trying to draw for us here, the psalmist says. When God forgives you, he takes that thing off your back and carries it himself. That's the picture you need to see when you see the word forgiven. And then he says, well, it doesn't, he says it'll cover, he covers it. That's about concealing or taking it out of his view in particular. It's complicated, I think. Some things we do in our life that mess us up. And we have to remember that when we are forgiven, we still might have some consequences of that sin in our life that are seen by us and seen by others. We have to remember that but God conceals it from himself. He doesn't see that anymore in you. He sees you without that. And then it says count against. Well, count against has to do with a debt being taken away. I can remember when my first house was paid for. It just felt so good. Some of you have had that kind of experience. Some of you are under the burden of uh, not having that experience yet. But when a debt is uh, taken away from you, just think what it would be if somebody took your house debt or your car debt, whatever is the biggest debt in your life right now, and just said, I'll, I'll take that for you. Don't worry about it. It's gone. That's the picture that the psalmist, David, or somebody is painting here about what happens when God gives us forgiveness. Now, in these first two verses also, we have three kinds of sin. Three kinds of results, three kinds of sin. The sins are transgression. The other sin is plural sins. And the third is a singular sin. And each one of those has a meaning that the psalmist wants you to hear about so that you know that no matter where your sin comes from, no matter how it comes into your life, no matter how you want to describe it, God can and will forgive it if we confess to Him. Now, transgressions are those most deliberate decisions we make to disobey God. God, I'm just not going to do that. I know I should, but I'm just not going to do it. That cousin caused me trouble 20 years ago that I have never forgotten. We have never gotten over it. And I am not going to forgive him. That's a transgression. A deliberate disobedience of God. Sins in plural. The word you've heard a lot is missing the mark. It wasn't a deliberate thing. I just, I didn't do this right. Uh, my temper got the best of me, or I wasn't thinking clearly. Uh, some people like me have trouble. Their mouth, their tongue is in gear before their brain turns on. And you just, you have, you get in trouble that way. So it, it just happens. So sins happen that way. But God is willing to forgive us of those sins when we confess. And the singular sin word 
It's simply about a crookedness in our attitude or in our actions. And we know we often try to do something that's not right before God. Now, we can be sured that God will forgive, will not count these against us, and that he will not look at them again. They will not be in his view. When God affirms, I mean, when David affirms all this in the first two verses, he goes on in verses 3 and 4, look at them, and he talks about what happens when I don't have forgiven sin, when there's unforgiven sin in my life that I am aware of. What are the consequences there in my life? Well, the consequences aren't very good. Uh, David says what happens in his life. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I don't know whether you have a lifetime of unforgiven sin, but most of us have known a period of time of unforgiven sin if we're serious believers. And we know how that eats away at us in our life. And if we keep letting it stay there, it just eats deeper and more. There was about a year between David's sins of murder and adultery and Nathan. So this is what David is reflecting on, this year of misery in his life when we fail to have confession in our life. And even though denial and rationalization, those are temporary things that help us. Until we come to confession, we don't find the kind of relief we're really looking for. And until we find confession, God does not remove it from our life. David, uh, in verse 5, look at that, speaks about his confrontation by Nathan, his confession before God. And he talks about it in a kind of a three-step fashion. Step one is that he actually decides that uh, he needs to lay this sin before God in plain language. Have you ever thought maybe that you were hiding something from God? <laughs> you know how foolish that is. But yet we think sometimes we can hide something from God. We need to lay it before God ourselves. Not for God's sake, but for our own. Just as we need to get out in front of God how we really feel about Him, we need to get out in front of us, in front of God, about the sin in our life and acknowledge it to Him, that we agree that it is not right for our life. The second is to accept it, to own responsibility for it, to claim it as our own and not blame it on somebody else. And then he third step is this confession. It's not enough just to say, well, God, I'm sorry. We must regard sin just like God regards sin in our life and we need to say to God we see it as you see it that it is a brokenness in us and we need to do something about it 
and I'm laying it before you to do something about it. Well, then in verses 6 through 11, it talks about what happens to someone when they confess their sins before God. And they receive this forgiveness. What do they get out of this? Well, they get one, they get relief from the burden of guilt. Now, burden of guilt is talked about in the scripture here in verses 6 through 11 as this water pressure on us. That's the uh, word uh, language in here, the word picture in here. Relief from the burden of guilt. We get relief from estrangement. God will protect you and give you the joy of your salvation. We're no longer estranged from God. And we're no longer estranged from each other. And there's relief from this brokenness in our life. God will teach and protect us and give you unfailing love. If you want to know the relief from the burden of guilt, the relief from estrangement, and the relief from brokenness, we need to learn the language of confession. And sometimes it's a simple thing. Just to say, I said the wrong thing. Sometimes it's a deeper, more important, more pervasive thing that you need to get out in front of God. You know what it is. It's time to deal with it by letting God deal with it for you. Use the language of confession. Because that's the only way that God can deal with it and take it from you and bring you some relief. Let's pray together. God, give us the courage of self-examination. And we're grateful to you for the relief that confession brings. As you heal our hearts, heal our relationships. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.